everybody! Hi friends, well from beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah, it's Thank God I'm Atheist, the podcast. I'm Frank Feldman. And I'm Dan Beecher. And coming up on the show today, Dan, later on, we're going to be hearing your conversation with Terry Daniel. Dr. Death, baby. <laughs> she's, is that she's what she goes be, by? Is that her yeah, nickname? Yeah, yeah her okay. podcast is, is, is Ask Dr. Death. She's, uh, she's great. She's a friend. And she, we're going to talk about death, dying, and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. So, Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to hear that conversation. But first, Dan, guess what? What, what, what? what you got? American Christians, they always know. They know how to get upset about things. They, oh, they, they're the they, best they, kind of people when it comes to that. Practiced outrage about dumb things. More than just about anybody, probably. Well, this is the One Million Moms group, which the so which has a total of like a, a couple hundred moms in it. <laughs> but there's a million of them, Dan. There's a million uh, in spirit. They're uh, anti-LGBT hate group sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, they're, that's the main. The main thing is protect the kids from the gays. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, there was an, so this group of American Christians is upset about an Australian television ad. Uh, I don't know why they feel that it's their business, but uh, whatever. Uh, eHarmony in Australia uh, has put out an ad that has two gay men in it. How dare they? A How dating app? Dare they? And who? I mean, gay guys, they don't want it. They, I mean, they are kind of barking up the wrong tree. Like, did. Do they even <laughs> allow gay guys to date in Australia? Is that even allowed? Well, I mean, if, if this group had their way, uh, they Ugh, would not. Um, right. uh, the, the ad, it's kind of breakfast time. It looks like uh, one of them is making toast and the other one, and they, they like uh, hug, I think, at mm. one point. I watched the ad. The really nothing nothing scandalous in this ad at all nothing oh one of them like reaches in and like uh they, i guess one feeds they kind of feed each other this Ew. toast so and gross then one of them wipes the other one's mouth right <laughs> it's all cute it's all sweet i can't i can't even handle it well this is what they they, they one million moms has to say yeah uh, it's the site's attempt to normalize and glorify the LGBT, LGBTQ lifestyle by featuring a ho homosexual couple hugging, feeding each other, and wiping the other one's mouth. Yeah. By promoting same-sex relationships, eHarmony wants to make it clear where they stand on this controversial topic instead of remaining Correct. neutral in the culture war. I... Does anybody, Ladies, is it controversial? Is the war is over. Yeah. Like, we don't I, need to normalize it anymore. It's normal. <laughs> like, I get that you still don't like it, yeah. but there's no controversy here. And that, she continues. That ship sailed. The one million mom herself, she continues. Uh, there is concern about this, the way this advertisement is pushing the LGBTQ agenda but an even greater concern is that the commercial is airing when children are likely watching television. This eHarmony ad brainwashes children and adults 
by desensitizing them and convincing them that homosexuality is natural when in reality it is an unnatural love that is forbidden by scripture just like love rooted in adultery is forbidden homosexuality is immoral (laughs) i just i love the idea that like a kid's gonna see a man wiping another man's mouth and just start to cry (laughs) uncontrollably like i don't understand i thought this was just for mommies and daddies well or worse now the child sees two gay men you know being doing nor- doing boring things each like other feeding yeah. each other as normal dan this yeah. is not normal yeah at any moment they might look at that and think to themselves oh that's okay right I, wouldn't that be the worst that would be the worst i also just love the idea that it's like that this is e harmony's attempt to you know to, to push the gay agenda to push the gay agenda exactly right. when no, that's not what they're trying to do. They're just no. trying to appeal to, you know, a customer They're trying base. to get the gay dollars is what they're yeah, trying to do. That's it. That's all. Yeah. This is this is already out there, guys. Yeah, it's, you're way too late. Not, you are the, way, you are so, so too late to this game. The time for this. this propaganda was 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, not propaganda anymore. It's just advertising. Sad. That's sad. They missed the boat. Well, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I, I think one of the themes of our show is that Christians and especially like American Christians cannot see the no- pass the nose on their face. Like mm-hmm. they do not know that there's anybody else in the world other than like the demons that they imagine we are and the you know, that they imagine lurking behind every corner of their house. And uh, nowhere is that better demonstrated by than by when they start to make, try to make laws. <laughs> uh, so in your, in your old stomping grounds of Oklahoma, a lawmaker has put forward a bill that will likely never see the light of day as a law. But I think it's instructive <laughs> about where these people's brains are. Or if they have brains, I don't know. There's a question there. There's some question as to whether or not there is brain involved in this. Uh, But this bill is particularly special. Basically, the bill says that uh, teachers cannot offend the sincerely held religious beliefs of students. That's the big, that's the entire crux of the bill. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that sounds all well and good on first blush, but it's going to be problematic uh, instantly. Right now, already, did like it, it's literally, I mean, and obviously this is a bill crafted to try and protect Christian children from hearing about evolution or whatever. You know what right. I mean? Like this is all Poor about dudes. Christian children, but yeah. man, are you not thinking through the consequences of this? Because... <laughs> Good Christian teachers may just encounter an atheist student or a, God forbid, Satanist student, or even just a goddamn, you know, a Hindu student or a Muslim student. Right. And uh, literally, the the way this bill is worded is that any teacher who offends the, the sincerely held religious beliefs of a student is liable not only just... (laughs) 
Like, this isn't just some little thing. They they could be punished by fines of $10,000 per incident per individual. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I I can't see this uh, actually prevailing as a law, but holy shit, will they be in trouble if they actually make this stuff oh, happen? That's just the worst like, thing. You're just playing right into Lucian Greaves' hands at that point. <laughs> you are just like that is just a playground for anyone who's not Christian. Meanwhile, oh all of these teachers would be just obviously frozen. You couldn't say anything in class because <laughs> you don't know what the sincerely held beliefs of all of your students are. Right. How the hell do you determine that? How that? I mean, yes, you know that most of them are going to be Christian and you know that you're not, you can't say anything about anything that, you know, you can't, you definitely can't say anything about gay people or trans people. This uh, this bill was put forward by uh, a guy named Rob Standridge, who uh, in other at other times has made news just trying trying to ban books. Uh, he tried to ban all books with sexual content uh, <laughs> from public school libraries, which I'm pretty sure just means anybody that has a, any book that has gay folks or trans folks. Uh, that's in it. the target, but like yeah. that's. It's it's gonna take more books out than than just that. Yeah, he he recently mm. posted on Facebook about his desire to get rid of Toni Morrison's "The Bluest Eye" because it, he's claiming it's because it contains a rape scene. I'm guessing it's because it contains you know non-white people. <laughs> that's probably closer to the mark. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's where they're at. They want. Literally, the other thing that baffles me about this law, this bill, is that they don't see that they are literally the Taliban. Yeah. How do they not see that they are literally doing exactly the thing that is barbaric in oh. Pakistan or in, you know, Bangladesh or in any of these places where, where you know, if you offend the, 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 the religious sensibilities of somebody... Mm -hmm. You can, you know, you're, you're liable to the law. How do, how do they not see that they are literally the same as the Taliban? Honestly, like if you just took stories of the Taliban and swapped out, you know, Islam and put in Christianity and Taliban and put in, you know, I don't know, could one, you mil tell one the million moms, they would love it. You couldn't, you literally couldn't tell the difference between yeah. a, uh, if you just, if you just change out a few of the key words, Allah becomes mm -hmm. Jesus or whatever. Yeah. You, they would not know that they were supporting Sharia law. Right. They would love it. It's, they, it's it would what be, they're fighting like, for yes, in this country. Right? Everything about so, that is right. Yeah. Well, Dan. Yeah. Kind of a story here that like sort of at first blush, um, like I, I was like, oh, well, I might be on this church's side. I hate it when that happens, right? <laughs> but um, this is the story of a, a, a church in Oregon in a, a smaller town. Uh, it doesn't sound like a very big place. Uh, where's where's the name of, of the place? That's how important. Brookings is the name of the town. Okay. Brookings, Oregon. 
the the church is suing the town of Brookings after the town has limited the number of free meal sessions that they can conduct a week, right? So the church has been giving out like free meals like six or seven days a week okay. um, during this like COVID and whatnot. Just to, um, to people who are who are people who are out insecure. of work, people who just are they just need they they need a meal, right? Sure. Uh, and uh, it's bringing a bit of traffic around to the church, and therein lies the lies the problem, right? The neighbors in the I assume residential area uh, around this church don't like the amount of traffic that's coming <laughs> in and out of this church now, right? Um, and it's all it's all ugly, uh, awful, poor people. Gross. It's, yeah really the worst um and and upwards of 70 people dan every oh. day are coming through and uh or yeah that that's a, that's about right and it's just a it's a lot of traffic for a town of 6700 people and so the town council has sort of made this rule to kind of try to find some balance right they're like okay. well we have this disturbance that is happening in an area where there wouldn't normally be. No, no one would normally expect this much activity at a church in this neighborhood, right? And sure. so the 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 people who live here feel bothered, and that upsets me, right? Because it's like, well, come on, right? Like, yeah, it's for a good cause. Who like seventy people are coming through? Like, okay, right? that's not that many. Yeah. Uh, so you guys need to shut up and have a little bit of like, you know, a little charity compassion. and compassion, yeah. right? In your hearts. Sure. Uh, but then, of course, the church is suing on the grounds of their their rights as a church to do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> and oh, how dare right. this town try to regulate, you know, a- anything. anything having to do with a church. Right. And it's like, well, fuck you, church. <laughs> and they're Episcopalians, so I'm even more upset. <laughs> I like to like Episcopalians, and now I'm mad at some. That's the worst part of this story. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Brookings Episcopal Church. Why? Why? Just, just try and feed people. Don't, don't try to get away with everything. I know. Just like pack it up, put it in uh, some vans. It's only seventy meals. Right. Yeah. Drive it to a park. Do it there. Do it on the beach. I just looked it up. It's a beach town. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. They'll love it. The sand will probably get in everything, but like, but that's, that's the way of beach towns. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet it's beautiful. Oh, I'm sure. Oregon coast. Oh yeah. You don't get better than that. Oh, sounds like paradise. Yeah. Except for. We've got a lot of hungry people. Well, at least 70. Yeah, apparently. So, yeah, apparently. All right. Well, you know, hopefully they're able to continue feeding folks that need food. That's that's I nice know. Thing. like the, the, the city council needed needed to find a different balance here. Right. right? Like, like this, literally this is a like tough somebody one. on the city council lives next door to that church and is just bugged. Yeah, and that's what happened. And the speed bump just isn't working. Right. Know? Yeah. And the, the slow down, the flashing slow down sign. <laughs> has been <laughs> is, is annoying people it, it's, it's just going just, off constantly it's too ruining fast the Pacific to keep Coast saying, highway it just keeps flashing it. 
too fast, too fast, and a frowny face. Have you seen the ones with the frowny face on it? <laughs> oh Lord. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna whisk us away to Norway. Ooh. Um, now I I'd I'm, love to go to Norway. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's it's a jewel of mm-hmm. Scandinavia. Yeah. Is what I is what I assume. I've never been there. <laughs> been to Sweden. Hmm. Anyway, uh, Norway is not. Just fjords, there are people there too. And some of those people, uh, surprisingly, still are religious. Not uh, a lot, but some. It's uh-huh. one of the least religious countries in the world. Hmm. But they them. still have some. Yeah. And uh, the way that Norway works is a little weird, which is that literally all the religions are subsidized by taxpayers. Literally all of them, if you've got more than like 50 people registered, then you can apply for a state grant. Really? So, okay. Yeah. So like there are, there are more than 800 different uh, religious groups receiving this. Um, hmm. Some, I think you can actually have a secular group and still get it uh, within hmm. certain guidelines. Okay. But... There are guidelines. They're they're actually nice guidelines. So, for instance, the way that the law reads, quote, if a religious or philosophical community or individuals acting on behalf of the community commits violence or coercion, makes threats, violates children's rights, violates statutory discrimination prohibitions, Uh. or in other ways seriously violates the rights and freedoms of others, that society may be denied grants uh, or grants may be suspended. Hmm. Okay. So, so that's nice. You know, obviously, when you have a a, a a more a very secular state that's giving money to churches, they're going to have some good rules about it. <laughs> well, you might want to focus in on that coercion thing uh, because oh. there are some pretty there there are some some religions that practice that uh, coercion, mm-hmm. namely. The Jehovah's Witnesses, who, oh. as you know, uh, have a very strict and and sort of on-the-books rule about shunning people who leave their ranks. Yeah. Um, so, which is, like, the worst thing. That is such bullshit. Anyway, Norway has decided that that is indeed a violation of those rules and has decided to withdraw really? its grants. Uh which, by the way, is uh, amounts to almost two million dollars in U.S. dollars, really? sixteen million Norwegian kroner. Wow. Huh. So, well, good, good. Yeah, I I, the, I, uh, I think that that's a that's the right thing to do. I because and and the reasoning is that this shunning thing, as a practice, because what happens is if you you know if you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's your family, your friends, everybody is supposed to kind of cut ties with you. If you're still living in the household, they don't have to kick you out, but you're not allowed to see grandma and grandpa. You're not allowed to see anybody else. You are shunned. Yeah. And that is, and that's obviously a deep emotional manipulation. It is a coercion. Yes. And, uh, and it is not, uh, and, and Norway is saying fuck off about it. Good for them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm happy about well, that. Very good. All right. Well, back here in these United States, Dan, uh, there's a man by the name of Garrett Soldano. 
who's running for governor in Michigan. Mm. He's a Republican. And he's got some things to say about abortions and mm. uh, specifically um, rape victims. Oh, God. Oh, God. Trigger warning. I'm, might, I'm already triggered, but I... I yeah, trigger warning yourselves. might actually be really important for this one um, because uh, he's saying that rape victims shouldn't have abortions because, quote, they don't know that little baby inside them may be the next president or maybe <laughs> the next person who changes humanity, right? Which, right. I don't know, it seems a there is an age requirement. Like this, this fetus is not going to be the next president. <laughs> but to that, I also go, well, could also be the next Hitler or a serial killer. Like, they always make that argument. And it's such <laughs> a bad argument because a, no, it's not going to be. And B, <laughs> yeah, remarkable goes in a lot of different directions, my friend. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's a gamble. Yeah, that kid well, could be anything. Also, not for nothing, but like if we're going to just talk about sort of the uh, the genetic lottery that's happening, that would be the child of a rapist. Yeah. What, what genes okay. is that dude passing on? Yeah. No, it's it's really sick. And he's he's said some awful things. Surprise, surprise in the past about abortion. Let's see. He says, how about we this is not this instance, but this is some some comment uh earlier this year or, or uh, last year rather um how about we start inspiring women in the culture to let them understand and know how heroic they are and how unbelievable they are that god put them in this moment how about that, you that shut god the fuck had up them raped right and let how about you shut the fuck up and uh let them be heroes in the way that they want to be heroes or not yeah. be heroes or whatever. None of your business. How about yeah. that? Yeah. I haven't been following, surprise, surprise, the Michigan gubernatorial race. So I don't know what kind of chance in hell this guy has. Um, but this is some alarming, awful shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah this you, is a terrible be a person. real monster yeah. to, to, to think that that's an okay line of reasoning. And uh, obviously the, his comments are being condemned. No surprise there by uh, politicians in the state, Democrats, you know, right. um, but calling you his know comments what? Look for the people who and, aren't condemning. That's who, who we need to be yeah. looking for. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really rough stuff. As a matter of fact, if you're a Michigander out there listening to us, uh, write into the different uh, candidates and ask them how they feel about that statement. Uh, I think it's try, try and get them on the record and try and get them to 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 tell to say what their feelings are about it. Yeah, especially the Republican ones. Yeah, <laughs> right into those Republican ones because they're the ones who are going to probably say something awful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, good just, lord. Just freakish. Yeah. All right. Uh. Well, I'm. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this. This is a very interesting thing to me. Uh, I don't know about you, Frank, but in my world, there's a, when, when we talk about, you know, you and I were raised Mormon, which means that we had, a, we were, we, you and I were males, so we weren't given this uh, much, we, but there's a concept of modest clothing 
that is mm. usually spoken about uh, when in regards to women, because obviously uh, that's very <laughs> important to cover up the ladies. Can't have guys having immoral thoughts. Ladies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Women. Because of your shoulders. Ladies. Stop, stop trying to tempt us by your with your fashion. Anyway, <laughs> I've always thought it's just a weird concept in general. But like what's it gets really weird when you start to look at a lot of the regressive religions. I, I what their idea of modesty actually is like. Hmm. So uh, there a, a Tennessee based healthcare provider has just recently had to pay a settlement to a nurse that they hired. They hired a woman named Melinda Babineau in 2019 and then. She informed them that because she is an apostolic Pentecostal, she was going to have to wear a skirt a, instead of pant scrubs. She was going to have to wear a scrub skirt. Is, uh, that, is that cool? Like, like medically? Yeah. I like, don't know. I don't know why huh. it would be important one way or the other, other than like, you know, the pictures that I'm seeing of scrub skirts mean that you couldn't run very effectively in it or whatever. So, you know, if somebody was, was, what about squat lining or something? What, you might, would, would, would some squirts work? I or, know, uh, right? <laughs> like, but what's really weird is to my mind, when we're talking about modesty, a pant seems more, I mean, you're less likely to see naughty bits in a pant. Or then, just in a skirt. You're not going to see leg at all. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas exactly. skirts are That's about sh- a little leg, right? I mean, how yeah, well, long I is mean, this? The, is it like floor The skirts length? that I'm seeing are, are mid-calf sort of things. Oh, so not sexy. No, but sexy still. nurse. But still like those, you know, salacious ankles are, be- are being shown. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that that was so weird. Like, what an arbitrary rule that. You know, it's so important that I can't, I can't wear, I can wear this bit of clothing because it's a girl bit of clothing, but not that bit of clothing, which, you know, fashion, now you're just talking fashion. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about scrubs for, (laughs) for medical uh, personnel. You know what I mean? Like, well, what an absurd thing to take a stand on. I I honestly, like, if you're going to get that fussy about things. Why are you working outside of the home, woman? Right? Yes, madam. I mean, <laughs> shouldn't you be raising children and making sandwiches for your hardworking husband? <laughs> What's going on? Oh, it's, I mean, like, it's interesting how they pick and choose, like, the parts of traditional Christianity that they, they want, right? Like, yeah, a skirt? But, what the fuck? Who cares? No, in no way can a skirt be considered cr- traditional Christianity. Well, okay. It's obvious. But th- no, but what I'm saying is that is like just American tradition. That is cultural tradition, right. not religious tradition. And they've just latched onto it and decided that now it's, oh, no, but that's our, re- it is a fundamental tenet of our religion. And now she gets paid. So they rescinded their their offer, the job offer, when she refused to wear the clothes that you wear for the job. And uh, 
And now, uh, you know, the uh, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission said that, uh, no, that was an accommodation that they needed to make. And so she walked away with $75,000. Wow. All right. I um, mean, it... <sighs> It does. It seem does like seem like a reasonable accommodation. accommodation. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that hard to make that accommodation, yeah. but still, it's just absurd. Yeah. She's absurd. She's absurd. They're all and absurd, they, and they handled it the wrong way. Yeah, it's yeah. true. If you out there are absurd and you'd like to write <laughs> in and tell us about how, or if you'd like to tell us what uh, what you're wearing at work today. Uh, feel free to write into us, podcast at thankgodimatheist.com. Or call and leave us a voicemail message. The telephone number is 424-666-8442. Stick around. We've got some uh, emails and voicemail coming right up. Well, Frank. Dan. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of Patriot Street Fighter Scott McKay? <laughs> no, I don't think so. He's, he's been touring with, uh, I feel like he's been touring, like he, he goes to like the, the, the rallies with the My Pillow guy and all oh, this stuff. Yeah. He's, he's rising up through the ranks of the, uh, of the sort of crazed MAGA QAnon uh, <laughs> obsessed yeah it's like that world has become its own universe and he's becoming one of the uh he's 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 sort of fashioned himself into one of the celebrities of that world oh that's great good for him you know and he's i think he's got a podcast or maybe you know maybe it's a video thing i don't know i'm looking at a video it's (laughs) cuckoo bananas american media periscope uh so he's so this is a periscope I guess that's a thing. Ah, uh, oh, Periscope. I remember that. <clears throat> anyway, he has strung together a series of words that are English words. <laughs> I'm I'm challenged to decipher any of what you're about to hear, but uh mm, okay. But please enjoy. Our style of delivery, specifically mine here, is um is really a combination of a full throttle shitstorm runs into a tempest stirred up by a hurricane quake or hurricane that leads to an earthquake coming down on top of the poli- political elite ruling class and the religious order run by the Satanists on the planet. That's what this whole machine was designed to do is to be a global attack weapon. And the tipping point is, <clears throat> is that very weapon and this Revolution Radio seat is the information warfare platform from whereby we conduct this war on these people that have done nothing to enrich humanity, simply to rape and destroy humanity on all levels. You know what? I know this sounds sensational, but all I can tell you is the longer you listen to me here, the more you're going to agree with me, even if you were a blind Satanist, left-wing Democrat that cannot think for themselves. If you're around this show long enough, it's going to have an impact whether you understand it or believe it or not, because the ethereal realm delivers information in an energetic form. And if your frequency is tuned for truth, it's going to be an acquiescent experience for you. And I will say congratulations. Those of you that it cannot reach, 
Well, God love you or God help you because I will not from I will not help you from this seat. My intention is to smoke you out, put you in front of the we the people for the ultimate judgment. And that will be the takedown of your philosophy and ideology that historically and backed up with empirical data has done nothing but destroy humanity for hundreds or thousands of years. That political or social ideology is going to end up on the ash heap buried so deep in this planet, you would think it was on another planet to even get to it. Did, did you get all that, Frank? Oh, yeah. It's, it's obvious, Dan. It, it's clear it's as day what me. he's saying. <laughs> me, but, but just in case I did, just so that I know that you understood, why don't, mm-hmm. will you tell me what the fuck he was going on about? Well, since, since like a thousand years ago, there's like all this empirical evidence, right? That like shows that the leftists, <laughs> the uh, Satanists. the Satanists, leftist political <laughs> machine who aren't, who, who aren't able to think. but yet are somehow uh, espousing an ideology meant to bring down humanity. (laughs) But they can't think. Yeah. But they're not, they're not able to, it's, it's a, it's amazing. I will say this. One thing that he does get right, uh, at least in terms of American uh, leftism is how ineffective they are at their goals. (laughs) Uh, Because uh, we have not yet brought down humanity and we have been working for a long time on this. American, the American left has been working to bring down humanity for about a thousand years now. About a thousand years we've been trying to do this. And we just can't get our (laughs) shit together because we can't think. No thinking. It's hard to do when you, when your brain don't work. (laughs) I just wonder whose brain is not working in this, uh, in this scenario. Oh, you needn't wonder. I think, I think we, I think we know. Like is, does he just talk like that so that he, he does he think he's sounding smart by talking like that i think so i, th- and, I think and that by being impossible to understand because that's been that's been how he's picked out smart people in his life is that he can't understand what they're saying <laughs> exactly right exactly and so he just strings a bunch of words together that make literally no sense and he must be smart right you think I'm not That's convinced of that. That's my take. I, he seems I very feel smart. Like he, I feel like he has a capacity for gathering vocabulary without <laughs> actually being able to use it in any kind of coherent manner. <laughs> oh, golly. Well, that's fun. Uh, Thanks I, for sharing, Well, Dan. all I can say is I did not have an acquiescent experience. That's all. <laughs> All right. Well, we had some folks write into us uh, and and call into us, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. Katie wrote in and mm-hmm. said, in episode 529, you talked about a football coach who was eventually fired for having the team play pray on the field. Mm-hmm. The high school football coach at the high school where I teach has done this for years. Oh, wow. I, I believe Katie's from. Uh, oh, I cut it out. Kansas or Kentucky or one of the. One of the middle of the country K states, I think. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, usually the visiting team and often members of the crowd participate too. As far as mm. I know, no one seems to have a problem with it. Or if they do, they know they'd get their house egged and TP'd for questioning it. I've heard many people remarking how nice it was to see the team praying 
Religion's a big part of this coach's persona and coaching style, too. Every year, the football t-shirts have faith, family, football, and God mm. is the main topic in the coach's game day speeches. Katie goes on, the high school principals and superintendent are on, are on the liberal side, so I'm sure they see the problem with praying on the football field, but they have never tried to put a stop to it. I've thought about reporting this to outside entities multiple times, but I feel that this would either not do any good or it would somehow end up biting me in the ass. I'm hopefully on my way out of this town after nine long years, but I hope sometime in the future I hear about the football coach being forced to stop making the team pray on the field or perhaps being fired for it. And you can well, report I, to Freedom From Religion Foundation anonymously, right? They'll protect yeah, you. Yeah, I think so. You know, Katie, it might not be a bad idea uh, if you're interested. And believe me, I get that, like, you do, like, you, I get that, like, this is A, probably a hassle that you don't necessarily need in your life, and B, that you could be putting yourself in jeopardy. But you might, you might as well contact the FFRF, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Mm hmm. And just talk to them about the situation. They'll be they'll be like totally willing to, you know, they'll listen to your predicament. And mm -hmm. if you don't want to pursue it, you know, if they they'll tell you what will be involved in pursuing it, mm -hmm. and uh, and it, and how much or little you would need to be involved, mm -hmm. and then you can just decide your involvement. I think uh, they're very cool to work with. So I'd give them a call if I were you. Just yeah. if nothing else. Get it on their radar. Let them know that it's happening, and uh, and 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 then you you know it's not you don't have to be involved, but you can. Uh, but they can uh, they can sort of become aware, and maybe they can find somebody else in the community that wants to pursue it. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Uh, Rob wrote into us, "Hey Frank and Dan, I have a couple of thoughts about this week's segment about Jerry Falwell Jr. You'll recall Frank that we talked about Jay Fall Jew." Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and his, his decline from, from grace and prominence, um, Rob says, what does his career trajectory look like from here? I think I would be surprised if his father didn't leave him what the rest of us would consider fuck off money. Uh, <laughs> and any of us were we in his shoes would probably retire to some place where we could drink and bang pool boys in peace or whatever. That said, it also seems like having fuck off money breaks the human brain in a way that requires said human to think that they should continue to acquire more money. So mm -hmm. I could see him deciding to find a new grift and given his behavior, I would not be surprised if he decided to out himself as an atheist. I strongly <laughs> suspect he is one given that he knows how the sausage is made as it were. Mm. If this is the case, I don't believe for a second that it would be of any use to our movement. I think much like Trump, he doesn't have any stronger belief than whatever is good for me and mine is okay. To that end, uh, we should issue some sort of preemptive proclamation that he, uh, oh, should we issue some sort of preemptive proclamation <laughs> that he isn't one of ours? <laughs> Cute. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think we'll see him uh, having uh, his his atheist nah. uh, coming out moment. I don't. I don't think so. I think he, uh, from what I've read, he's a genuine believer. He just he's not good at it. He's not religious. He right. but but there's something in him. There's, he's he's hanging on to something. 
Yeah. I think I think his his parents are whispering in his ear from the great beyond. <laughs> anyway, uh we did have a uh, a voicemail, did we not? We do, yeah. And this caller uh is responding to our conversation, I believe, two episodes ago, uh, where we were talking about um some curriculum in uh in California that Hmm. about the, and you were bringing up these, the Mayan, you called them affirmations, affirmations. That's right. These were just, it was, it was a Yoruba, uh, religion and, uh, and like the Mayan or Aztec religion, something like that. And, uh, and they were, and, and these, these weren't, uh, this wasn't required in any class, but it was like part of the possible reading that, could, I, I don't know. Anyway, the the parent Christian parents were all up in arms, and we said, "Just get rid of it. It's fine. You know, you don't yeah, need to have it's it's religiousy. It's beliefy. You know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. And you shouldn't have religion in schools. Anyway, yeah. uh, well, this anyway, has something to say. About and we that. had a couple voicemails about this actually. Um, yeah. And uh, and so yeah. Um, let's let's have a, a listen to what what they have to say. Hi, Frank, Dan, and or guests. This is River from Texas. I wanted to call about the your conversation at the end of this, this week's episode, talking about um, the Yoruba and, uh, and Aztec or Mayan uh, affirmations being used in a, an elective ethnic studies class in California. And I, I'm going to disagree with you, and here's why. I'm actually a, a woman with a multicultural gender studies major, minor uh, at a university, and I just took a class that was kind of basically um, women's studies and also ethnic uh, studies. And one of the things throughout that course was that I was asked to put myself in the position of a person who is very much not like me, who is a white person and that was difficult and uncomfortable and I think that actually that was a good thing for me to go through and for me to experience and so I think for your Latinx students and your West African students I think this is something that it like I think these affirmations are going to help them feel enfranchised and seen and valued in their curriculum in a way that they won't throughout most of their their academic life. And for the white students taking the class, it's an opportunity to like to try and see the world through a perspective that is not yours and to gain understanding in that way. So I think it's actually a good thing, um, assuming it is not done religiously and is done academically, which I think it can be. I'm also going to disagree with you about the yoga thing because I think that taking all of the work of yoga and all the poses of yoga, which is a specific ethnic religious practice, and taking away all of the specific religious and ethnic language and making it palatable to white Christians, that is the definition of cultural appropriation uh, so I'm going to push back on that one. Like, have yoga or don't, but don't take yoga and wash the brown people off of it. Anyways, just thought I'd share. 
Well, thanks, River. Uh, yeah, I think that I think those are very good points. Um, mm-hmm. we, the yoga thing was that we talked about, you know, just because because so many Christians freak out about their kids doing yoga in school, just call it stretching class and and take away the Sanskrit words. I I I agree with the comment that that that's that that's whitewashing something that and that that does have a cultural context to it that probably shouldn't be expunged. So, okay. That that makes sense to me. Yeah, I I <laughs> my perspective on yoga is like I want the bending. I want the balance. <laughs> yeah. This is this has been my stance for a really long time and and it's I appreciate the perspective river about washing that line of washing the brown people off it is um it may be a little insensitive to want yoga without all of that but i mean and and i don't do yoga right because i don't i know that somebody's going to say namaste to me and i'm going to be annoyed <laughs> right and i i just don't want that yeah so i, I don't go I, but and, and and also I mean, yes, there's a cultural appropriation question, but there's also like a physical fitness question. And can't yeah. we just take useful uh, practices from all over the place and you know remove the like I don't want to erase any culture, but also like one of the things that we do as a society is take what's useful and make it useful. And, uh, and, and yeah. yeah, sometimes that kind of divorces it from a cult, a context. Yeah. And I don't know how to feel about that. There's a lot, there's a lot there. There's a lot to think about in all of that. Yeah. Anywho. But good points. Uh, and thank you. Th- thank yeah. you for the, uh, for the call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more email. Uh, this is from John. Hello, Frank and Dan. John here from the Memphis area. I recently found your podcast and uh, I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, I'm an ex-evangelical of the charismatic flavor of Christianity. Oh, wow. I left my beliefs behind around three years ago. I'm still uh, a closeted atheist. Most of my friends and family are Christians, including my wife and immediate family on both sides. So I kind of depend on the online atheist community for company. I love that the idea of the person who wrote in saying that they leave atheist books in the free little free library boxes. That's awesome. I'm going to buy some atheist books just for that purpose. Chances are they will be taken out and burned by some well-meaning Baptist, but who knows? Maybe there is some secretly questioning, maybe there is someone secretly questioning their beliefs and it might help them. Thank you for the great content and I look forward to listening to more episodes. That's great. And uh and by the way, uh even in uh, rural Tennessee, there are other atheists. So like you could, you could look around and poke around out there and maybe find a group that you can meet up with and, and yeah. share stories, share the war stories, etc. Uh, so we had some folks, uh, be generous and, and give unto us. <laughs> and I'm going to start us off. Uh, we, we had Celine mm-hmm. who, uh, who gave us a one-time donation over on paypal uh celine you are now a deacon you have magic powers that's how this works uh congratulations unto you and uh amen on that frank do you do you have some folks to thank i do indeed dan uh we have a new teacher over on patreon by the name of ilona 
So thank you. Wow. Um, and if you'd like to join these kind folk, you can do so. Just go to our website, thankgodimatheist.com, and click on the support tab, and then there's options. Yeah. You choose the level that you support us. It's not like we're <laughs> making you do a specific level. Uh, but but yeah, cool stuff happens. Yeah. When when you do it, you get to be you get to be magic. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Absolutely. And of course, we have our top donor to thank, Dan, our Lord and Savior, Demonium. Thanks so much. More show coming up. Well, Frank, uh, you you weren't able to join us, but uh, I had a wonderful conversation with our friend Terry Daniel. That's and, wonderful. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going to just launch right into that. Let's have a listen. Well, today we're going to talk to Terry Daniel. Uh, now, Terry, you and I have, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've been friends for a minute. We first met when, because you were a listener to uh, one or the other of my shows. <laughs> Big fan. Yep. Um, but uh, I've been on your show uh, and you were, you've been on shows anyway. Uh, hi, welcome to Thank God I'm Atheist. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, we've been in the podcast universe a little bit. In in the realm, in the, in the yeah. podosphere, as they Potting say. Potting around together. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, now, Terry, tell tell us a little bit about you. You are a an end-of-life care uh, professional. You are a, uh, a, a minister, a, a, not, that's a chaplain. Is that the word? What that are you? That would be... <laughs> technically what am i what am i why am i here um i am technically called a chaplain and that's a kind of a good place to start because it's not a minister it's not anything like that and i'm not religious and i have no religious affiliation of any kind but i go and i work for a hospice and i go and be with people who are dying and i give them what is typically called spiritual care yeah and, you know, before all your listeners uh, leave the room <laughs> because I've said that, <laughs> um, what does that mean? Well, what it means to me is it's psychological care. I'm like a counselor. You know what I, when I started doing this work, I often thought of myself as Deanna Troy on Star Trek. Ah. Remember? And and so that's kind of what I am in the hospice universe, I guess. Well, t- t- tell tell us a little bit more about that for those who uh, for those unlucky few who who weren't next generation fans. Uh, maybe you could probably do that better than I could, but it was one <laughs> it was one of the iterations of Star Trek on TV, yeah. right? With Captain Picard. That's I, right, right. And she was the ship's psychologist, I guess. But she was also like very compassionate and intuitive and, and she would help people with their emotional problems. So I kind of do that on the starship uh, death, I yeah. guess you could say. Death's a, death's a tough beat. Uh, the, what, what brought you to, to death as a, as, as a sort of life's work? Death as life's work. That's a great title for a book. There you go. Uh, um. Well, most people who work in hospice and death care are there because they had a profound experience with death. Mm. And so people will tell you, you know, I sat with my mother through her death or my father committed suicide. For me, it was similar. It was my son's death. He died when he was 16 from a long uh, illness, a rare metabolic disorder. 
and the process of being with him through the dying process was kind of amazing to me mm. because watching someone die is kind of like watching someone be born and in there's just something going on there that's really big and um aside from my own personal grief and everything like that i wanted to be around that also because um death is not scary it's not creepy it's not threatening it's not any of those things and i realized that i really wanted people to not be afraid of it and as I went through my years of getting established in this field and all the education and training that I got, I realized that the reason people are afraid of it is, guess what? Religion. Interesting. Uh, That's, so yeah. when you say afraid of it, are you saying afraid of our own death or afraid of being around death when it happens to people around us? Those two, plus there's even a third one, okay. which is afraid of being dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's three things. There's our own death, there's someone else's death, and there's afraid of what happens after we die. And of course, if you're religious in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there's this fear of heaven and hell and judgment. So for most people who have a fear of death, that's what's really going on there. Now, fear of uh, people, someone else dying, that's not fear of death. That's fear of loss. Your person you love is going to die. That's They're right. not going to be here anymore. So that's pretty obvious and pretty understandable. So I got really interested in working with people's religious beliefs about death, like what made them so fearful. Uh, a psychologist friend of mine once said, all neurosis is based in the fear of death. Huh. And I love that because, it, you know, if you think – you're either going to be punished or you're going to disappear from the universe completely when you die, that's going to make you cling really hard to your assumptions and your beliefs and your attachments and all the stuff that you have in this life and make the idea of leaving those things really difficult. Yeah. So that's, you know, so I, I became, I started out as a hospice volunteer and then I went to school and got a bunch of degrees and I became a chaplain and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. Um, but I started noticing that the people I was working with all had these infantile Sunday school childhood beliefs about death and the afterlife. And, you know, these were people in their 80s yeah, who had a lifetime to do some critical thinking, but never did. And, yeah, I don't you know, know if you know this, critical thinking is hard. It hurts. Well, it hurts if your people are raised like you were raised, yeah. you know, Yeah. You, because you have, there's a high stakes risk for that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if people are raised in a high demand religious environment, yeah, critical thinking will send you to hell. Indeed. Not allowed to do that. Yeah. So yeah, it is hard. <laughs> but I, for me, for some people, it isn't hard. I was raised with no religion. My parents were Jewish, which didn't mean a whole lot of anything right to them and you know they were educated and intelligent and they never indoctrinated me so i feel like i got a leg up on a lot of other people yeah that's way. nice you're lucky in that respect <laughs> that's a blessing <laughs> so so getting back to these uh these 80 year olds who had never really processed the concept of death in any kind of critical way what what do you see as 
Because I, you know, the obviously the religious people would tell you that their beliefs on death, you know, the 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 concept that they're going to another life that they live on forever and that in the next life they will be rewarded by their god for having been such good little boys and girls. We they would say that that is a, a boon to them. That is a that is a, a a point in their column, in terms of like what's you know how you know a, a good thing in life. You, it sounds to me like you're saying that's not true. Well, it's it, it depends on the person. If somebody has a lot of guilt and shame, which they all do, um, it's not really a boon because when it comes down to it, that theology tells you that no matter what you do, you're a piece of shit no matter what you do. <laughs> right. Right? So even if you believe in that and you believe that you're going to get rewarded in heaven, when you're on your deathbed, assuming you believe in this theology, you're not really sure, are you? Yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big if. That's a right, big that's right. a big question mark. Yeah, because God's going to judge you and he knows all your little secrets, you know, and all your sins. And you just don't know right. what he's going to decide, even though you were a really good person. You know, there was that time when you, I don't know what, you know, you pitched pennies behind the barn yeah. and, you know, the 4,000 masturbation times that you did, right. you know, and it's like, what, yeah. you know, God knows all of it. So, um, yeah. So people who believe that theology, all I, I'm not going to say always, but a lot of times struggle with that. So just... Today, as a matter of fact, I was with a patient, a really feisty old lady who, you know, lived alone all her life. She never got married, never have kids. She was a waitress for like 60 years. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And she was so cool because, and she still had that theology, but she didn't have it in a scary way. And she said to me today, I don't care where I go, you know, I'll go up there or I'll go down there, wherever wherever they want to send me (laughs) and whatever, as long as I'm not stuck in the middle. That's what she said to me today. (laughs) Oh man. Stuck. I loved it. I wrote it in her chart. Yeah. Such a great thing to say. So it's not, it's not terrifying for everybody, but for most people who really, you know, who have so much guilt and shame because, and especially if you're raised in a religious cult where you've been told since you were a child, that you're evil and um, God's watching and there's all these rules and all this stuff going on, you know, like rapture anxiety and the the kinds of traumas that kids have in those environments. Yeah. Death's going to be scary. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us have some sort of fear of death. Like, you know, it's, you know, one doesn't want to quote Shakespeare too much, but the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. Like that's that's been the big fear since humans realized that they were alive. Or not. It depends which humans you're talking about, because some humans have a different view of death. Like there's a really famous quote from Socrates. I'll see if I can pull it up here that says something like, you know, what if death or what if this life is just an illusion and death is the real life? Like, we don't know. I'm, I'm going to see if I can find that quote because I'm <laughs> not doing Socrates a service right now, but I do have it here on my computer somewhere and I'll look for it. I'm pretty sure or, you were you just know, talking that, about the that, Matrix just then. 
Oh, well, and then there's that famous, you know, I don't know where this comes from, but what if I'm a man dreaming a butterfly? I'm a, what if I'm a man dreaming I'm a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming I'm a man? Yeah. You know, what is, what is reality? Who knows? Well, I'm, and, but I mean, I think, I think the uncertainty is, is the, is the scariest part. You know what I mean? For a lot of people, not knowing is worse than, is, is the worst possible outcome. So just having any answer, even if it's bullshit, might be a comfort to some, I suppose. That is true. And, and the funny thing about uncertainty is this is why, one of the reasons why religions are so toxic because they're feeding us a certainty. Right. And that's, and it's the certainty that's the problem. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I mean, that's why I like what this lady said. You know, she said, whatever, I'll go wherever they want to send me, whoever they are. <laughs> they. <laughs> and she, whatever it was, she was at peace with it. Yeah. That's amazing. And certainty is, you know, I mean, in, in the field of religious studies, we call it orthodoxy. Mm. Uh, that's the problem when you say it's absolutely this or it's absolutely that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the, the thing about it's funny because a lot a lot of religious people i think imagine that atheists just believe just n just think that they know better and and that they you know they yeah i my personal belief is that i'm guessing i just stop when i die i'm guessing there's no, and this this is something i think that you and i might differ a little bit on but my guess is that i just don't i just i you know i whatever the things are that are me just become, uh, you know, fodder for for uh, worms and plants and whatever, and I just stop. But I don't know. Right. And I don't know is the best answer, right? And so um, I've, you know, I have always believed that consciousness exists, can exist outside of the body. There are other dimensions besides the physical one that we inhabit inside this body in this physical world. And that we can, you know, we can visit those dimensions like we do in dreams. Right. Um, human beings, since way before there were any religions, have, you know, talked about out-of-body experiences and mystical visions and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, depictions of an afterlife. People have died and been resuscitated and reported, you know, out-of-body, after-death experiences for 30,000 years and I like to think that religions were created to put words to that. Mm. And so people were always, and that's why like human beings, they invent rituals and ceremonies and images of God. So one of the things I say a lot, you've probably heard me say this before, is that this idea of God or gods is actually a projection, projected outward of what is inside of us. So that's why we have multiple gods, a fertility god, a warrior god, a god of the corn and the crops and the fire and the thunder, because inside of ourselves, we have all these. If we want to get pregnant and have a baby, we might, you know, make an offering to a fertility god. Well, all that is, is just the, the inner mother, right? Yeah. The inner pregnant person or whatever. And so all of these, so human beings have these needs inside themselves 
that need attention when they want something like, oh, I want the crops to grow. So I'm going to go out in the field and build a little statue of a little magical character and light it on fire and bring it some grapes and, you know, yeah. do a little ceremony um, to, to bring the crops to success. Something about humans wants us to do that. And so, you know, that in itself is, is kind of nice and kind of reasonable. The problem is when people who crave power and people with agendas get hold of that stuff, then they package it into dogmas and doctrines, and then they go marketing it uh, all over the neighboring villages and turn it into a religion. Yeah. And then they start adding all this stupid stuff to it, like, you know, heaven and hell and punishment and God as a humanoid creature that watches over you. And and that's where it went south, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, before you know it, you've got dogmas and rules and laws and what you what you're allowed to wear and what you're allowed to eat. And uh that that then things have gone a little slaunch ways, if you ask me. Okay, so I found the Socrates quote. Oh, and okay. who knows if who knows if it's really from Socrates because it's on a meme and memes are usually bullshit. But, <laughs> yes. Right. So it says no one knows whether death may not even turn out to be the greatest blessings of human beings. And yet people fear it as if they knew for certain that it is the greatest evil. Yeah. You know, maybe getting out of here is great. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, I I currently have shingles. I am right now a human being living with shingles. Oh, uh, sorry. And uh, yeah, death seems great. Yeah. Comparatively. Well, and you know, human life is so, it sucks. It's so difficult and painful and all we want is love and happiness peace you know but we have to work so hard for it so i don't you know i certainly am not going to say that i know what happens after death but even if it's nothingness nothingness is better than having shingles you know (laughs) it can be it can be there's the title for this episode there there you go there you go (laughs) so one of the reasons that we are talking uh, about death right now is that you you don't just go unto the, the dying folk uh, to help them. You're it's like a it's like a death doula. Is that is that, is that what you do? Anyway, um, that's yeah. I I don't call myself a death doula, but yes, that's definitely what I do. It's definitely part of it. Um, but you also because you're a crazy person who likes to give herself too much work. You also organize <laughs> a, a a convention. Uh, that that is happening this June, um, July actually. It's July, July, right? Yeah. It's one of the J ones. I know. It's one I know, of the J ones. It's not like right. I'm, which were, by the way, all it's not named like I'm going to be there. <laughs> and and those were all named after Roman gods, by the way, right? It's true. Yeah. Well, or or uh, emperors, but June, July, August. Yeah, you're right. Gods and emperors. Juno, yep. Julius. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, uh, so tell me, t- tell our listeners, I, th- I think they might be, I think there might be a lot of people who would be interested in your conference and I want, I want them to know about it and, uh, and just know what you're going to be talking about in case they want to go. Yes. Thank you so much. So this is called the conference on death, grief, and belief. And on, uh, it's taking place on a weekend, July 15th through 17th. And we have 
two keynote speakers. One of them on Friday night is Seth Andrews, who many of you know. Yeah. And on Saturday night, we have Frank and Dan <laughs> from Thank God I'm Atheist, who are going to be there in person. That's right. And we're, it will be in Portland, Oregon. And um, Frank and Dan are going to talk about a really interesting topic <clears throat> about because this conference focuses on death, grief, and belief. Part of my work is I do grief counseling. A lot of my audience and followers are people who are struggling with bereavement because not only are you afraid of punishment when you die, but if you have that toxic belief system, when your loved one dies, perhaps from suicide, uh, you might think they're in hell. And so there are a lot of people who are struggling with overcoming that. And that's the grief piece. And Dan was, uh, you were telling me the other day that when you leave your religion, when you deconstruct, there's a grief process that you go through. Deep, deep grief process. Yeah. There's yeah. A, and, and just like with, uh, when you encounter a death, you, you lose, you lose people that you love a lot of the time. It, it, is a, it is a very similar parallel. It's an interesting parallel. It's a really interesting parallel. And, and it's a weird, there's, uh, in the grief counseling world, there's something called disenfranchised grief. Mm. And what that is, is if, let's say the person you love died while robbing a convenience store. And he went in there with a gun and the police killed him. Or, I feel you know, like he's you a terrorist. Know my family. How do you, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, like that. Or, you know, but, you know, or back in the AIDS, you know, at the peak of AIDS, he was gay and he died from AIDS. Or maybe, you know, he's the guy who shoots the kids in the school and you're his mother and you're still grieving that guy because he was your son. Right. So this is disenfranchised grief. This is grief that is not supported or recognized by society. Yeah. So when you, Right. So when you leave your religion, you're not going to get support from those people that you love. Yeah. You are literally, so, that is a great point. You are, your grief, the thing, the thing that is currently the most painful part of your life, you don't get all of the people that you're used to turning to for support, for love, for help are going to turn their backs on you. That's exactly right. So you have no, so one of the things that causes, complications and obstructions in grief healing is not having family or social support. So here you are, you know, you've, you've left your, the cult that you were raised in, you've left belief altogether, whatever the story is, and you have no community support. And it's, it takes years to find a new community. Yeah. So you want to go to your parents and your friends, the people you grew up with, and all they're going to do is talk you out of your decision. Yeah. Nobody's going to support you in your grief process. It's a, it, it is a, it's a very special kind of grieving. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's its own brand of thing. And a lot of people have to do it while pretending to be something that they're not. I mean, a lot of people leave a religion in their minds, in their hearts. They know it's not true. And then, ha and then because they know how bad the social repercussions would be, they stay physically and, you know, they have to lie. They have to live a totally different life. That's, uh, I mean, that, that, that right there is, uh, uh, for me, an interesting parallel to when religious people lose a loved one 
I don't know if this is like this is a thing that that's very prominent in Mormon religion where you lose a loved person and then you have to pretend like you're not grieving yeah. be because you're there because the they're going to a better place and if you grieve it's like you're not acknowledging the how great what's happened to them is right because Christianity it, this is, you know, this is my opinion here, speaking as a chaplain, um, Christianity is all about separating us from our natural selves, mm. from our own intuition. I mean, there's even a Bible verse that says, do not trust your own wisdom or your own knowledge. Yeah. Uh, do, not, do not trust your own counsel. I don't know the exact wording. Lean not so, to your own understanding, something like that. That's the one. Yes. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, How <laughs> fucked up is that? Like, make, just make sure that you don't trust you. Of all the right. people you could trust, just make sure that you don't trust yourself. Right. Trust the priest who yeah. rapes little boys, you yeah. know. Um, you know, trust the words of Paul who, you know, wrote these words 2,000 years ago. No, what? <laughs> and so you're so messed up. And, and there's actually a thing in evangelical Christianity called appropriate Christian grief. mm and it's exactly what you describe. Appropriate Christian grief means that you're not sad because they're going to be in heaven with Jesus on a throne and pearly gates and golden streets. And, you know, they're, and they're getting their reward in glory or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and I, I guess Mormons feel that way too. You know, if you're sad because someone died, then your faith isn't strong enough. You know, but what right. about these 1700 planets, you know, that we're going to when we die, <laughs> according to the Mormons? Like, aren't you happy that he has his own planet? Right. Grieving and, uh, and you know, death and all of that. It is a, it is a crazy important discussion to have that people refuse to have. Yeah. And this is why they refuse to have it. Because if they have this discussion... All these stupid, you know, infantile beliefs about Satan and God judging and all of this are going to come up in the conversation. And that's a whole lot to unpack with your 80-year-old mother. Yeah, it really and, is. And here's what happens, you know, when people are 80. So generally, this is what happens. A person is born into a religious family. They start getting their religious education when they're two, three years old, they go to Sunday school, they are told the Bible stories. And you're a kid, you can tell a three-year-old anything. Uh -huh. And they'll believe you. Elephants can fly, puppies can talk. You know, there's fairy godmothers who can turn a pumpkin into a carriage and all that stuff. And of course, a, th a three-year-old's going to believe that. Um, and so that gets inculcated into us when we're three. And then we just kind of go through our lives you know, then we got Santa Claus added a little bit later into it. And why would we question it? Because we, it's just brainwashed into us. It never, ever changes because why would we think about it? Unless you're an unusual person like me who was always thinking about this stuff, even when I was 12, <laughs> but most people just don't think about it. You go about your life. And then one day you're 50 and you have prostate cancer or your kid dies or some horrible thing happens. And then all of that comes up and you go, well, wait a minute. I thought there was this God in the sky who would protect me if I went to church and prayed and did all these things. 
And where is that God now? Why am, why do I have cancer? Yeah, That's not supposed to happen. And only then do people start to question it. So death and loss is the trigger or can be the trigger for questioning. And that's great when yeah. that happens. What sometimes happens, though, is people don't question. So they stay, they want to cling and be attached to that belief system. And then they get mad at God. And then it becomes this whole other thing of like, well, God, you let me down. Right. And how am I going to reckon with that? Instead of letting go of that idea of God, they're going to hold on to that idea of God and then fight with it. Yeah. It's a, I mean, the whole thing is just a very, it, it's a, it's a very tricky realm to, to dabble in because again, it's, you know, you, you have to start by facing your our most primal fears and then move from there. Like it's, 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 this is not, it's not the funnest game in the world, but I think it's such an important thing for us to do for us to acknowledge, to, to like, look at death and ask ourselves deep questions about death. And I think that that's why uh, I love that you're doing this conference. I think that that's what's so important about it. And uh, you have some really interesting people coming to talk at, at the conference. Will you talk a little bit about who who you've got yeah. coming and, and what they're going to talk about? Um, yeah. So um, first of all, I just want to tell you, Dan, how grateful I am that you and Frank are going to be there. It's just it's so exciting. And um, I'm, I'm happy that I get to introduce you to a new audience that may not already know who you are <laughs> and then bring your audience into, you know, some of these people that I'm about to mention here who they may have never heard of before. Right. So um, Seth Andrews, of course, everybody knows him. Um, Clint Haycock, I don't know if you know him. He's, uh, he's based in the UK and he was a former Bible college teacher, evangelical who deconstructed and he has a podcast called the Mind Shift Podcast. Oh yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna talk about sixteen steps for leaving religion, oh, a step by step guide. Um, Brian Smith is another guy who does a talk called "When God Doesn't Help." He has just wonderful uh, analysis of you know when you believe in prayer and you believe in this theology, this mythology. And what happens when somebody's dying or you're dealing with trauma and you pray and you do all the things you're supposed to, and it doesn't make any difference <laughs> because prayer is, doesn't make any difference. Um, Joshua Bowen is a really cool guy. He's a researcher who does, uh, he is a seriologist, which means that he knows like the ancient languages of Assyria and Aramaic and all that. Mm. And he looks at the Bible stories and the translations, and he's going to talk about conceptions of the afterlife in the Hebrew Bible. Oh, interesting. And I have an Islamic scholar who is a, a professor um, of practical theology and a practicing Muslim who's going to talk about toxic theology in the Islamic tradition uh, I got a couple of psychologists talking about how religious beliefs complicate the grief process. I have Pesach Eisen, who was raised in an Orthodox Jewish community and escaped from that. And Janice Selby, who was also raised in an Orthodox Christian community of some kind when where she had robes and, you know, like Mormon women with the <laughs> modest clothing. Mm -hmm. And she's now a bisexual atheist rock musician. <laughs> like you do. 
<laughs> like you do, and, and a whole bunch of people like that. And and one of the people I'm really excited about is um, David Lukoff. So I'm, I'm going to get a little academic here for a minute. Um, in psychology, there's a book called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders or something like that. Right. And if you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they'll open up this book and they'll look for something that looks like your diagnosis and it has a billing code so they can bill it for insurance. Right. Well, David Lukoff with, uh, with another colleague wrote a diagnosis for that book called Spiritual or Religious Problem. Interesting. And it's actually a diagnosable um, disorder um, that because anybody who has any problem, depression, addiction, anxiety, schizophrenia, whatever it is, somewhere in there, there's some religious content. Mm. And so his whole thing is psychology needs to start recognizing the presence of toxic theology in people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. So he's going to be there. And... Okay, so here's where my my secret woo-woo credentials come out, because (laughs) I I do believe that there are other dimensions of consciousness beyond the physical, and I do think that our consciousness can survive, does survive the physical death of the body. And so we've got one person coming, Peter Panagore, who is a guy who died in a mountain climbing accident, he was airlifted off a mountain. He was clinically dead, flatlined, and he was revived. And he had this whole journey and experience while he was out. And so that's, an, you know, called a near-death experience. And uh, there are so much research on that now, academic, bona fide, university-funded research. And I personally think that's real. But here's the thing. It doesn't have any religious content. And so Peter's talking about, his talk is called A Doctrine-Free Afterlife. Mm. And so, you know, what if you just float away into the stars? And I don't know, but it's not what religion tells us it is. And then- How dare he? How dare he? (laughs) And then in that same vein, um, another speaker, Gregory Shushin, is an academic researcher from England, and he has studied- these types of experiences throughout human history. So back what I was saying earlier, 30,000 years ago, um, you know, cave paintings, and then, you know, later different kinds of documents of people having these journeys to other worlds. Again, there's no Christianity, there's no Hebrew Bible, there's none of that, but their people are leaving their bodies and going somewhere. And so he talks about what is in the historical record about, out of body awareness, I guess is the best way I can say that. So, um, and you know, I, I, I believe in that and I'm sticking to that. In fact, the other day I was doing an interview somewhere and somebody said, well, Terry, what do you believe? (laughs) And I said, I don't really believe anything, but if I had to say something, this is what I'd say. I would say that I think that it's a multiverse, not a universe, and that, you know how they say we only use 10% of our brain? Well, we only use 10% of our conscious awareness too. So there's, you know, why would I deny that there's some aspect of our 
essence or consciousness, you know, I don't want to say soul because mm. that has a bunch of stuff attached to it, but whatever that, um, that bounces around, um, other levels of existence in the universe. I'm not, I can't say that that's not true. So, well, I love that the conference itself doesn't take a position, uh, but just, I love that you're just bringing in some very interesting people with varying, you know, academic and, and spiritual and life experiences and just, uh, just letting everybody sort of sort things out for themselves. I, I think that that's probably the right way to go. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a party. <laughs> I think so. Uh, you know what? You've convinced me. I'm coming. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we're going to have so much fun. And, you know, I mean, it's presentations and stuff all day. There's lunch and dinner included. And then, you know, at the end, we all hang out in the hotel bar and and drink and, you know, sort our way through this stuff. Yeah. You know, so and then on Sunday, um, because this is going to be in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm trying to put together an excursion, so a post-conference excursion where we all get on a big bus, and it takes us up to the Multnomah Lodge, which is up in the uh, Columbia Gorge. Have you ever been there, Dan? Uh, you know, Multnomah Falls is actually uh, my screensaver on my phone. Really? Yeah. Wow. Have you ever been there? I, yeah. I took the picture. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, that's so great. So yeah, so we're going to Multnomah Falls for dinner on Sunday Love it. night. Wow, yeah. that, it, it is gorgeous there. That's for sure. It's crazy well, beautiful. Well, if uh, our listeners, and I think I think a few, quite a few of our listeners might be interested in coming to this thing. Uh, if they wanted to, uh, how, do, how do they get to you? How do they sign up? What, what can they so, do? So um, the website is deathgriefandbelief.com. Super easy. And uh, just go there, click on the link to 2022 conference, and there's a subscribe button, many subscribe buttons all over the website. Just click on that and subscribe to the newsletter, which comes out once a month. And the newsletter has a bunch of articles about, you know, there's always at least two articles about how atheists are excluded from research mm. on religiosity and um you know, the, the Pew and Gallup polls about the decline of religiosity in America. So we've got a lot of stuff like that in the newsletter and interesting articles of interest. And that's the way. So just go to the website and subscribe and uh, listen to TGIA because I'm sure you guys will be mentioning this again. Yeah. And, and just come and be with us because it's going to be a blast. If nothing else, you get to meet me and Frank, which pff, that's, that's worth it right there. And everybody wants to meet you and Frank because you and Frank are like, Mythical characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Terry Daniel, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to uh, our our meeting in person in July, and uh, and I hope that some of our listeners will be there as well. Well, I can't wait to give you a big uh, COVID free hug. Absolutely. And Frank and, and mysterious Frank. <laughs> he'll um, he'll be there. <laughs> okay, I'm so glad. I'm just I'm thrilled that you're there, and everybody listening. Uh, TGI is the best. <laughs> I hope to see you at the conference. All right. Thanks again. Well, is, she is uh, just a delight and uh, we're all, we, we're looking forward to, uh, to going to that convention. Gonna That's awesome. going to be yeah. a lot of fun. I hope some of you decide to go. If you do and you, and, and you're quick about it, uh, you can actually get, I think it's 50% off. Uh, as an early bird rate up until I think February 15th. 
Mm. Uh, so go to the website and uh, and track that down because that'll be that it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, you'll get to meet uh, the two of us and we you'll get to learn all there. about uh, death and dying and all sorts of cool stuff. So uh, thanks so much, Terry, for coming on the show. Uh, if you, dear friends, would like to, uh, you know, comment on what Terry had to say or anything else, feel free to write into us, podcast at thankgodimatheist.com. Or call and leave us a voicemail message. The telephone number is 424-666-8442. Yeah, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Atheist, and click on the like button. And if you'd like to join one of our members-only lounges... You can do so by going to our website, thinkoutimatheist.com slash members only. They're great. Join they us. They are great. I agree. Thanks so much to the Red Rock Hot Club for the use of their beautiful music. And thanks to Gordon Johnston for the use of his music. And thanks to all of y'all for tuning in. We sure appreciate you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.